The Song Confessional Podcast is a co-production of KUT, KUTX Studios, and Good Taste Society. Hey, this is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to... Let me explain what we do here at the Song Confessional. We collect anonymous stories from all over this big, beautiful world. We choose our favorite ones. We give those to songwriters and bands who write and record an original song. On this podcast, you hear that original song, you hear the anonymous story that inspired it, and you hear an interview with the songwriter who wrote it. This season, we're featuring songs inspired by confessions taken from our permanent confessional booth at the Hotel Magdalena in Austin, Texas. I'm sitting here with my favorite permanent confessional booth. Tell them your name. <laughs> What's up, everybody? This is Zach Catanzaro. I'm hoping you can clarify something for this audience here. So we have this permanent confessional booth, right? Yes, we do. And you can just go in there all hours. 24-7. And I would like to confirm that people do go in there at all hours because we have a timestamp on your confessions. And that brings us a lot of joy. It does. And not only can you go in there all hours, that timestamp tells us that you're probably going in between like 8 p.m. and 2 a.m. That's true. That is our peak season. In addition to our permanent confessional booth, we also have an artist in residence program where we bring our favorite artists and songwriters in to stay at the hotel for five days and write and record a brand new song inspired by one of these confessions given in the booth. Our first episode here features a new song by Boyfriend from New Orleans, Louisiana. Uh, you might be familiar with Boyfriend's music because, well, she did a now quite infamous show at South By in 2017 where uh, the show ended with cupcakes being thrown all around Chirp Charlie's. She was banned <laughs> from Chirp Charlie's. And, uh, Which is hard to do. A lot of, a lot of shit happens at Chirp's. It's true, and I will say that after meeting Boyfriend in person and spending time with her, uh, I just can't reconcile the two people, the cupcake thrower and the really <laughs> gentle, kind, empathetic soul who works with us in the studio so easily. Totally. Yeah. I, I just also love that throwing cupcakes was the line for Chirps. <laughs> that was like... <laughs> We've seen a lot of things happen at Chirps over the years, but don't go in there and throw cupcakes, motherfuckers. I've definitely done a lot dirtier things at Chirp Charlie's than uh, <clears throat> throwing pastries. I've seen it. Yeah. Boyfriend describes her music as rap cabaret. And, you know, bands got the bands have to come up with these stupid little ways of describing their music. Like, for years, I had these terrible description, and then uh, old bass player Grant's called it Blue-Eyed Soul from the Future, so which is now what I say. What was the terrible one? I mean, you have to imagine me stuttering, be like, <laughs> well, it's kind of like indie rock, but I'm like singer-songwriter, and I'm God's gift to the earth, but like, I don't know, it's really accessible. <laughs> you know? God's gift to the earth apparently is very accessible. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, so, so artists have to come up with these ways of describing themselves that are, you know, they're a little elevator pitch. Uh, boyfriend calls herself rap cabaret and, and true to that description, she raps mm -hmm. and she really views her live show as the kind of penultimate expression of what she does. Costume changes. The visual performance is as important, mm -hmm. if not maybe a little more important sometimes, depending on where you're at in the set than the music mm -hmm. that might be happening. Yeah. It's very much a show. It's not a concert. It's a show. 
Another interesting fact about Boyfriend is that her her day job, so to speak, is as a professional songwriter. She's co-written songs with Charlie XCX, Big Frida, Pussy Riot, The Revivalist, Galactic, Preservation Hall Jazz Band. She's that's what she does. It's a pretty she, hot list. Yeah, and she, and I can say that after this experience of working with her in the studio, she is a natural collaborator. You'll hear a lot more about Boyfriend and her songwriting process a bit later, but first, let's hear our confession. Confession! Okay, one time I had two boyfriends at the same time, and I thought they would never find out about each other. But one of them decided to have a surprise birthday party for me. And what he did was get in my address book, which we had back in the 80s, and he notified everyone in my address book that there was going to be a birthday party for me, and they were invited, and everybody was supposed to come as their hidden sexual desire. Now, unbeknownst to me, this is all happening, and the one boyfriend having the party for me takes me out to dinner. When we come back to the house, I walk into my house with 60 people going, surprise, all dressed in these incredibly dominatrix, you know, incredible dominatrix, uh, submissive things in their mouths, chains, uh, cats, you name it, all these hidden sexual desire record, uh, address, uh, dresses and outfits. And all of them said to me, we couldn't tell you because it was a surprise, but the other guy was there. Now, the real kicker on this is that both of these boyfriends arrived at this party the one boyfriend I had been to dinner with ripped off his clothes and he was wearing a big Superman costume with a large penis made out of pantyhose down to his knees. And I looked across the room and there was the other boyfriend and he was dressed just like that. Now, the second boyfriend said, I don't know what's going on here. I didn't know you had another boyfriend and who's giving you this party. We'll have to talk later because it's a party. So he went home. When I went to bed that night after we kind of straightened up the living room with the guy who had thrown the party for me, boyfriend number one, you might say, he ripped back the sheets of the bed and in between the pillows, was the pantyhose penis of the other guy. <laughs> End of story. And now here's Superman by Boyfriend. One of my boyfriends thinks he's Superman. He wears a cape and tights, my guys in Never Neverland. He's got real big muscles and he pays my rent.
I absolutely love the first line of this song. It's like, one of my boyfriends thinks he's Superman. Just that sentence gives you so much to think about. I think part of the strength of that lyric is we, we know the confession, so we know what it means. But also outside of that, it's it's a great lyric. It's open to a lot of interpretations. Mm-hmm. I mean, immediately you're learning that this narrator has multiple boyfriends. Absolutely. And, had, that, and that one of them thinks he's fucking Superman, <laughs> which I'm curious about the other ones. What do they think they are? Yeah. And you don't know at that point whether she's saying it and it's a complimentary thing or it's like this guy's full of shit. Absolutely true. It's like, yeah, is is it awesome that he's Superman? Am I Lois Lane? Maybe. Probably. Maybe not. I don't know. So when we sat down in the studio and we were figuring out what we were going to do, um, you know, Boyfriend had a couple references and, and she made it clear she wanted to do something a little more kind of uh, a little more rock and roll than her normal thing. Use guitars. And she had a song with a drum beat and Jim got on his drum machine, Jim Eno. And program this beat, and I brought down the Farfisa organ, and we just came up with this riff, and really just started flying. It's basically the whole song is drums and the Farfisa. That's it. Which, that with the lyrics, somehow it gives it such like a pop anthem vibe. Like, I just want to sing along, you know? Ironically, we didn't actually add any guitars to this song. You do hear some gnarly tones. Uh... That thing that sounds like a lawnmower on the track and then also sort of sounds like a weird like Indian sitar flute thing. Yeah, what is that? That is an uh, electric theremin. And uh, for the real heads out there, Jim played it. I have a great video, which I will post on our Instagram, of him playing the electric theremin. It is absolutely the most bizarre instrument. He, he kind of plays it like he's Jimmy Page, too, which is fucking awesome. Well done, Jim. Yeah, he did a great job, and, and uh, a lot of joy watching him play that. But you will hear more about the making of this song in my interview with Boyfriend. Interview. 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 Who am I speaking with right now? This is Boyfriend. And Boyfriend, where did you get that name? I gave it to myself. And and what <laughs> inspired you to uh, call yourself Boyfriend? Well, I found that there was a certain weight uh, attached to Boyfriend that is not attached to Girlfriend. Like people will say, I'm going to the movies with my girlfriends, but no one refers to a group of their male friends as their boyfriends. Boyfriend has this like charge to it. And I found myself overhearing it all the time in conversation. It was like this ping pong ball, like darting around my brain, like my boyfriend said this, or, oh my God, I wish I had a boyfriend, or can you believe his boyfriend did that? You know, it just has sort of almost like a catty, sassy um, ring to it. And I thought, that's fun. I'll be your boyfriend. I'm your boyfriend now. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. What, What was this confession about to you? Okay. To me, it was like listening to a letter that my future self wrote and then put in a time capsule and sent backwards in time. And then I listened to it because I I related to this woman so much, not only her charming Southern accent, she sort of was like the personified, um, idealized future me that I always had in my head. Like I wanted to be this like 60 something year old woman with a little black book of 
lovers, you know, all around yeah. the globe, like an atlas of lovers and just be so, you know, cavalier about it. And, and not to say like necessarily a heartbreaker, but just to have those types of adventures. Yeah. Um, and so that, I think that's why it spoke to me so much is cause it was like, Oh, this is me as an old, this is the old lady that I want to be. <laughs> she is instantly charming in that confession. Like yes, she two, is. 10 seconds in your, she's instantly charming at, I think it's, there's a lot of parts of that confession that I really latched onto, but I do love that she, she just casually has two boyfriends. Yes. Not at the same time. Yes. There's something, uh, sex positive about it because, mm-hmm. um, okay. I'm gonna, this is like probably too deep to be compelling. Like it's like too deep. <laughs> no, let's go. Let's try it. But I feel like when, um, oppressed groups of people, are in the process of becoming unoppressed. There's like this window of playful vengeance that isn't necessarily actually cruel, Mm -hmm. but is sort of a, here's a taste of your own medicine thing. And so like with her sort of objectifying and playing these two men, it feels like this feminist power thing, even though what feminism is really about is us all being equal. And if, if one is having power over the other, then we're not equal. So it's sort of like, let me don the clothing of the oppressor, oppress you so you can see what it feels like Mm -hmm. just for like this fun little year of my life. And then I have a good story afterwards. And it, if there's something about it that feels like a necessary rite of passage, (laughs) I guess, um, so I would say that part of it's sex positive. And then there's the other part of it, which is the idea that like having two boyfriends is just like not even an option, I guess. Like the mm-hmm. idea of polyamory, like didn't really seem to be um, an undercurrent or a context in the story. It was like mm-hmm. very clear that they were both secret from each other. Yeah. And then like once one found out about the other one, presumably the relationship ended, though she never really told us. So she, I might be jumping to conclusions. Yeah, she does never tell us. But I love you. It really reinforces, I think, what you're saying. The fact that they're both in the same fucking costume. Like they're very <laughs> interchangeable in yes. that way. She's yes. like, yeah, I'm just secretly, I'm dating two men. They don't know about each other. And there's the idea of like, oh, she has a type. But then more compelling and underneath that to me is the idea that like men are a type and that men have this Superman superhero complex and this like phallic obsession. Mm -hmm. And that's that it's like the symbolism's that obvious. (laughs) Yeah. And, and there is something lovely too, knowing that she told us this story completely over. Like she obviously, to me, any story that people tell in the song confessional when it's a fun story, you know, they've told it before. Right. Yeah. And I just love that this is one of her stories that she trots out I love at that parties too. and stuff. It's, she knows, I don't know. It's very, it's very charming. That's a good way to think about it. I imagine some of the confessions feel like a first time reveal, definitely. but this yeah. definitely felt like a, this is one of my party tricks. Let me pull it out. Yeah. I loved um, it. And I, I think that's also why I was drawn to it. Cause I want to have bits, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to tell the bit about this. Yeah. The idea of like collecting this tapestry of adventure that I can mm-hmm. relay to people from my uh, wise white hair years. Mm-hmm. I keep, I feel bad. I keep referring to her as an old lady, but it's just the story was set in the eighties and yeah, she's like early, very clearly an adult in the eighties. One thing I, and I, I actually researched this. So the one guy had a pantyhose dick. They both did. Oh, they both did. Yeah. Okay. Incredible. Both <laughs> of these men dressed as Superman, both with pantyhose dicks. 
That is a lyric in your song. I was unable to find another song with the lyric pantyhose dick. We are making history. Herstory. I, Hosiery history. I'm like kind of obsessed with that. It's the first time that pantyhose dick has been in a song. Well, so since you researched it, was that a thing in the 80s that we missed out on? Uh, let me tell but you. Twinkles, but stardust and twinkles in the eyes of our parents at that point? Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I Googled that phrase a lot at a lot of different search engines in a lot of different ways. And it more or less only takes you directly to Pornhub now. So oh. it's hard to say huh. if that was the thing in the 80s. Maybe it's just an easy, they're like, okay, I want a comically large phallus for this costume party. Mm-hmm. This is vaguely flesh toned and oblong <laughs> and you can stuff stuff in it. Like maybe they're just both resourceful cause you, and in light. So it was easy to attach to you cause you can't yeah. really do a banana or a cucumber. Like that's going to be awkward and true smushy. Yeah, that's true. It won't ever smell bad. Right. It won't smudge on things. New pantyhose. <laughs> Yeah, I guess another thing I was wondering too is, what if what if they were both her pantyhose? Ah, mm. that makes the betrayal so much deeper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hmm. Right, and presumably the party's at her house. Yeah, I think it was at her house because she says she. Well, it could be at the the lover's house. Hmm. For some reason, I thought it was her house. I thought she said her bed. She definitely said I went to bed, but maybe it is her bed. Hmm. I liked picturing it at her house. That's her domain. Okay, so so this is the the first song with pantyhose stick in it. You have, you've never used that in another song that's like not released yet, no, right? Nope. I never even used pantyhose dick um, colloquially, <laughs> much less artistically. <laughs> and as a songwriter, it, is it important to you now or has it ever been important to you? to be doing something like new, like coming up with the phrase pantyhose dick in multiple songs. Am I, am I question like make any sense? It like, makes so much sense. The reason I like looked wistfully up at the ceiling when mm. you asked me that <laughs> was because I just had a, a long conversation with someone about this very concept of originality mm-hmm. and like how in this post, 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 modern society that we're living in, there isn't really anything new to be said. And so on the one hand, we should give up this need to try to be like, no one's doing this. No one's done this. Yeah. Um, and then on the other hand, it's never had more power over us. I don't think like I hear so many people say, but no one's doing this. No one's done this. Like in the creative process, as if that is an important touchstone. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. Like, I'm excited. I didn't know this. Now that you've told me that, I feel like I have a little brownie badge on my sash. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, totally. I'm not ab- above wanting to be unique and original. Mm-hmm. It, it is kind of an interesting phenomenon. Like, there are uh, artists that I know who are really good at following trends. I think which is partially what you're saying. Like, they're doing something new or doing something that's, like, not in vogue at the moment. And they're good at, like, keeping a finger on that pulse. Um, but it's so, it's totally the exception to the rule. I don't feel like anyone really is able to do that super successfully that I know to be doing something new or like getting ahead of trends kind of stuff. It's a conundrum because the idea that something is good because it hasn't been done before Mm -hmm. 
to me does not have legs. That idea washes away in the sand. To me, something is good. And maybe it has never been done before. And like, I need them to be two separate silos. Mm -hmm. But I think that a lot of times the goal is let's do something that's never been done before regardless of if it's good or not. Mm -hmm. But like, I I don't, I just want to make some good art. And if somebody like I get say, people say that I'm ripping off Madonna or I'm ripping off Lady Gaga or or whatever. And I'm kind of like, all right, thank you. (laughs) Who isn't also me and Madonna were born on the same day. So I feel like I sort of have cosmic rights to, I think that's fair. Mimic her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's why. And I mean, just cause I perform in a wedding dress on stage, I guess is why they say that. But so you write a lot of songs with other people correct, for their projects. Indeed. And you write for yourself. Yes. And you had told me before that you write with other people for your own music as well. A lot. Yeah. Less. Sometimes less, less than you do. But I'm curious, what's, what's the difference? Like when you're working on someone else's music versus you're working on your own. Other people's music is like, I'm back in college or high school, like trying to be the straight A student, like teacher, teacher, pick me, give me the assignment. Like what's the homework? Mm -hmm. Um, I really do love school and was good at school. And I think that's, that slight bit of structure really helped me. Cause like as a independent musician, I have no structure to my day or my life. It's Mm -hmm. completely up to me. (laughs) Like I answer to no one, (laughs) which is except for, you know, mighty fate, um, which is really great, but then also sometimes terrifying. And so Mm -hmm. to be like, put me inside of this box of this structure of person X needs song Y about Z subject to, um, I've run out of letters. <laughs> sure. But, but <laughs> I get XYZ it. Tempo. You, it's just super applied. You like can, you yeah, the parameters like the craft, that help you. The craft gets to really play mm-hmm. versus the like muse spirit mm-hmm. part, which that is more coming out to play with boyfriend. And I always like, as soon as the muse is like tapping on my shoulder, I'm like, quick craft, come wake up, come hang out. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Cause yeah, I, yeah. I am a very head based writer and mm-hmm. I work with a lot of people that they, they seem to close their eyes and open up their mouth and it's their heart that's coming out. Mm-hmm. Whereas like me, like I have my eyes open and kind of squinting and like, I'm thinking my way through the song, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. I think we need both types of writers in the world. Yeah. Well, it's probably also why you, while you thrive as an artist in the, the parameters of boyfriend, because it is heady in a way and it gives it a structure. Whereas because you have kind of an intellectual approach to it, it could just go, you know, be like a live wire just going everywhere. So, uh, I never thought about boyfriend as heady. So cool. Thank you for a new perspective. Oh, on it's that. great. Yeah, it makes sense. Well, okay. So I have one more question and literally this is, this has been great. When we sat down to work on this song, it was basically uh, me, you and Jim and you, you had kind of a, a loose idea of what you wanted to do. Um, and then we just kind of started rolling and it like really was like nine hours, nine, maybe. Yeah. Was that a typical co-writing experience for you or atypical? Uh, this is, if anything, it was long. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think that the LA, um, format is like just so just like really quick. Um, where, where the difference is usually that the producers have some music kind of ready, maybe sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Sometimes not. I think part of the difference is that a lot of it's just in the box. Mm-hmm. And so there isn't an analog component to be manipulated and figured out. And, oh, this cable isn't working. And, da, da, da. and all that stuff just eats up time yeah. very quickly. Um, but I, I, I think that I am a fast rider. Like, that's what I've, I keep hearing that from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know better than to think that that is necessarily, like, an accolade. Mm-hmm. It's just an adjective. Yeah, yeah. Because there's no, no, be, nothing better between fast and slow. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, it makes me compelled to, like, like some people are like, write every day. Across all types of writers, screenwriters, mm-hmm. no, novelists or whatever, you, you hear this message that you have to write every day. I'm like so against that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I just, that's just not for me. Maybe for other people it is, but I think because of the fastness, it's like, there's probably stuff just happening on a subconscious level in my day to day life. And then when it's, when the assignment comes and the teacher calls on me, it's like, Brrr. yeah. but then I need the like six days of not writing after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more of like, I've always been, I'm a sprinter, not a marathon runner mm-hmm. in all aspects of life. I need my 10 hours of sleep and Netflix afterwards. That's interesting because it's interesting to hear you say that because definitely Jim and I, and I think for sure this studio where we made it do a lot of analog stuff, a lot of acoustic instruments. I felt like that song, uh, came together pretty quickly for on our terms, which I see, I understand it was long for you. But the other thing I, I thought was interesting about it was, uh, you were the entire time we were working, you were like, Oh. producing this music video. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It was like three days before shooting a music video in New York. And the music video, you were coordinating like a lot of people. Mm-hmm. We had a cast of like 35. And so you'd be working and then, and, and then you'd come to and set your computer down and then like write another lyric or add a hook or something and then go back to it. <laughs> it yes. Was, it was, I kind of loved it. I feel like you were really like in your power. Cause you're like doing this video and then you're working on this song and like, we're very in, in, you were truly in both zones. I truly was. And I'm glad that it wasn't, um, disrespectful or offensive. I remember being self-conscious about that, leaving like, Oh man, I was, um, such a bitch. <laughs> no, 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 no. But yeah, I think that part of the reason that worked, um, is that like both things, energize me. And so mm-hmm. like one, like there's this sort of ad mini work of producing, which is what I did before I was ever an artist, mm-hmm. um, where there's this, at least illusion, um, a sense of control, you know, it's like this, the information's either in the spreadsheet or it isn't the mm-hmm. emails either sent the box is ever checked, either checked or not. Yeah. And how can you ever check a box on a song being done? It's completely subjective. And so Agreed. I think I need doses of that objective sort of administrative world to fuel this like giant gray area world of songwriting. Like I'll in the middle of my day, if I'm feeling like I'm losing steam, something that's really energizing for me is like reorganizing a drawer because <laughs> I'm in control. Yeah. I always think about that, this Henry Miller quote that I love where he's like, when I can't write, I work. Mm. I feel that a lot, which is when I can't do like the hardest thing for me, which is like to write lyrics or something. I'm like, I can clear my inbox out Mm -hmm. and it feels great, you know, it feels great. And then for me, there's the risk of, um, 
completion bias, which mm-hmm. I have. I'm like self-diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Actually, I did take a quiz. <laughs> I'm officially diagnosed with having completion bias. They explain what that is. I never heard that. that you value the sensation, the dopamine hit of having completed a task mm. such that you will prioritize tasks that you know you can complete quickly in order to get that hit mm. and perpetually put off like the big things. So like I, I have like a mountain of a list of tiny little things that I've done over the past four years, but have I actually written that play that I want to, that I'm going to regret on my deathbed if I haven't written it? No. (laughs) Yeah, I get that. I've done all this other stuff that like, doesn't really speak to my soul. It just gave me the like cocaine bump of like done, checked it off. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I guess I have that too, like in spades. I think most people do probably Mm -hmm. because there is a legitimate adrenaline, like it's a chemical thing that's happening in your body when you're able to cross something off. Yeah. Well, but the other, but to your other point, a song is never done. So you really have to determine when it's done. And I think when you're working on music, uh, I, a couple years ago, I just like made this pact with myself that I'm really going to like invest in the word record like what I'm making is a record of time, oh, I like that. record of a moment, record of these people together and be less, um, uh, I guess really given to my completion bias <laughs> as opposed to trying to obsess over one thing. Like I'd rather do 10, 10 things than just have obsessed over this one song. I think it's brilliant. It really helps. Um, it took me several years of being in music to understand the distinction between a song mm-hmm. and a record. Yes. And that there is the song that you're creating, which is this body of intellectual property that can be amorphous and sh- shape shifting for the rest of time mm-hmm. until humans can't live on the planet anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so for like 15 no, more years, saying, then, 90 years tops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the record, which, yeah, it is a recording. Like yeah. it's like the word has been used so much has been, um, removed from its original meaning. But when it first came into existence, it was the first time they were recording songs. Mm -hmm. And so it was of course, completely distinct from a capital S song. Yeah. It's a recording of a song. We're able to record things now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking about that story that when Sidney Bechet heard himself recorded for the first time, he's like early, uh, cornet player. He was just horrified that that's what not he sounded like, but what a recording of his band sounded oh, like. Oh, oh. I was like, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. And Louis Armstrong was in his band and he heard it. And Louis Armstrong was like, this is the future. Like, this is it. You know, like, who cares if it's we're flat or sharp? Like, let's just do it a million times. And then, you know, he went on to be wow. Louis Armstrong. That was pretty cool. Good anecdote. Man, great interview. I, I really like Boyfriend a lot. Her perspective, the way she speaks, it's it's really inspiring. And you mentioned earlier that you find her to be a very effective collaborator. And I was wondering if you might just elaborate on like why you feel that way. Obviously, it seems like it was pretty effortless in the studio together. You know, I think a lot of times collaborations uh, hinge upon trust and upon uh, empowering people to do certain things certain tasks, right? So like if you're with a band, if it's an, a good collaboration or an effortless one, I mean, first off, you have to make something you like. Mm-hmm. But secondly, you know, really trusting somebody to take care of what it is they're doing. So if you've got a drummer or a bass player, you're really trusting them to sort of figure out their role and their part. And I think the thing I noticed about working with her is that 
she just sings. She doesn't play an instrument. And she really allowed a lot of space for Jim and I to take care of the things we were taking care of. So I was playing the organ and Jim was taking care of the beat and he ended up playing drums on it. And it was very much a, well, that's what you're doing and this is what I'm doing. And it just, you know, a lot of times with the song confessional stuff, we on the music production side of it aren't co-writers of Mm -hmm. the song. And the minute we finished sort of the, got the general shape of the song and she was laying on the lyrics, she said, oh yeah, we got to figure out the songwriting splits between the three of us, you know, and that's, that's, that was a product of her and her attitude and bringing us into the process that way. It doesn't have to happen the way that we have, we have literally the majority of these songs on that have come out through our project, you know, the artist's wrote the whole thing. Yeah. Even if we do perform an instrument or two on the track, mm-hmm. uh, we're just at that point in time, we're an auxiliary studio musician. Exactly. That's yeah. It. And this was, this just was very effortlessly, not that at all. Just a, a great collaboration is like mm-hmm. a yes. end type environment. hundred percent. And I mean, to that point, I mean, Jim played drums on it, which, you know, I, th- I think when you're engineering a session to step away and play drums, that that takes a lot because you really have to put on a different hat. I mean, granted, Grant Epley was there mm-hmm. assisting. He's a phenomenal engineer, so that did make it easier. But it just was that environment. We were all adding stuff and just rolling, and it felt great. I love that. Yeah, it's just it sounds like she's just a good delegator. It's almost more like being a CEO rather mm-hmm. than you know you're not a dictator or band leader type, which some are. I mean, some sometimes you get songwriters that complete control. It's like yeah, you might need another musician to play something but you're going to tell them every little single thing they're playing 100 percent. one thing i want to mention about this whole experience is that uh you know boyfriend was in residence at hotel magdalena while we were doing this and the week capped off with her doing a dj set at the pool bar at magdalena and uh it's very chill the dj component of it you know it's hardly above running a playlist yeah but while we were doing it, uh, some some super fans came up, you know, and they really sought her out. And and I'm not saying they like were kind of familiar with her or like like a lot of events in Austin, you know, people just go because they heard about it. Mm-hmm. I like mean, tr- these true super fans. They, oh, they, they were, sought this out because they wanted to talk to her. And it was very cool to watch her. Uh, kind of slip into her character just a little bit just a little bit um i really loved it it was like the cherry on top of like such a good week that's really cool yeah because i i imagine when you're you know in a work environment together when you're actually producing the content the character isn't as there it's more of the person Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean as a musician and as like you know somewhat of a public figure sometimes we do turn that performance on when we're not on stage or when it's not music when it's just talking to somebody mm-hmm. it can still be part of the performance to kind of keep the story and keep the illusion of whatever it is we're we're delivering whatever it is we're doing uh, I, I i didn't notice that moment i was there i didn't notice that moment i'm a little jealous yeah i loved it it was it was a great it was just a great capstone to the week That theme song you heard at the top was written and performed by me, Walker Lukens, Zach Catanzaro. It was engineered and mixed by Adam Mason. 
uh, notable sax solo from one uh, Topaz McGarrickle. And uh, a couple uh, people featured on there, uh, Rylan Kettery from this project, Aaron Blackery, and my mom, Suze. The Song Confessional Podcast is produced by myself, Walker Lukens, Jim Eno, Aaron Blackerby, Rylan Kettery, new to the team, Mr. Adam Mason, and Mike Lee. And brought to you by KUTX. That song, Superman, was written by Boyfriend, myself, and Jim Eno. It was engineered and mixed by Jim Eno. Mastered by Max Lawrenson with assistant engineering by Grant Epley. If you like this podcast, the best thing you could possibly do is tell your mother, tell a friend, tell a cousin. If you want to do a little bit more, please like us, review us, give us a little rating, or whatever. 